0: Uh, okay, I've, I am no longer recording. So anything anything said now is <laughs> there's no evidence.
1: Oh, I still have an m- MP3 Skype recorder going. Oh.
0: So oh oh. <laughs> Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 234. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prilliman. I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work with Brogan King. Hello. Hello. And we have a fun topic tonight. It's a little, <laughs> uh, we've, we've had the last two episodes have been kind of heavy. Talked about the OP changes. We talked about, uh, Judge Academy. So we figured it was time for something a little lighter. A little uh unusual, something that we normally don't talk about. We're going to be talking about corner cases. Dun, dun, dun. All those little questions that maybe if you're on uh, the floor of an MCQ or the floor of a GP, someone comes up to you and says, I've got a question. So there's a Sylvan library in <laughs> So
1: imagine. <laughs>
0: imagine the Chains of Mephistopheles. And in order to cover this sort of topic... Brooke and I were discussing who to have on as a guest, and really, there was only one person that came to mind. So, I'd like to introduce the JudgeCast listeners to Isaac King. Hello, Isaac. Hello. Hello. So, Isaac, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. So, I am a level two judge out of Gainesville, Florida, although nowadays I am more effectively out of wherever this weekend's Magic Fest is. (laughs) And I, uh, I like corner cases.
1: I was mentioning that I had, had talked to somebody about us doing this episode and they're like, oh yeah, that we had, we need to get those figured out and talk about them and acknowledge them. And that's why we have the Isaac Kings of the world. And I was like, well, guess who's on the show? So, uh, I am, as Brian said, like this is, this is the perfect person to have on this episode.
0: So you might, for those of you who, uh, might wa uh, might have watched like old Simpsons episodes where they would have, uh, the Phil Hartman character, uh, would also com- constantly say things like, you might remember me from such films as, you know, Smoke Yourself Thin, Stupid, or The Great Springfield Tire Fire, you know, things like that. Isaac, you might recognize from like every policy forum question ever. It's a little bit of an exaggeration but not much of one. Uh he's also the head guru on rulesguru.net, which is a website that uh will give you uh various rules questions and you can ask for a difficulty level and it will turn out a question and then you get to answer it and see if you were right or not. Pretty cool. You should check it out. Let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, like corner cases and before we get into the actual examples like judges attitudes and perceptions on corner cases cuz there's really a love hate relationship with them.
1: From my perspective, I when I first started judging, I didn't come into judging because I was really interested in the rules of the game. Um obviously I appreciate them and have learned to enjoy them and like understand that that that's an important part of what we do as judges, but it was really hard to start judging and not know that there was this sort of attitude where you'd be judging somewhere and judges who are older than you, who you look or not necessarily older than judges, who you look up to are like, well, so here's this scenario and you feel really put on the spot and you feel like it's this expectation to know the answer and it's scary. And so I really appreciate acknowledging corner cases for, Helping judges get a better understanding of how rules work together, but there's a dynamic about it that that just inherently makes me feel like I'm on the spot,
2: <laughs> yeah. I think that uh, some corner cases can be helpful because they illustrate you know a certain a certain part of the rules or certain you know a certain philosophy of the rules, and so they're useful. Uh, but you have to use those in, in, properly as opposed to the you know sherazad word of command corner cases that aren't aren't actually teaching anything helpful.
1: It's the difference between knowing something for a greater purpose and knowing something for the sake of knowing something.
2: Knowledge is its own reward.
0: <laughs> I I sometimes think of corner cases as like foiling out your EDH deck. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a lot, a lot of times, a lot of corner cases, the wacky, kooky stuff isn't super helpful or, or super useful. But when you look at some of them, uh, some of, some corner cases are just rule situations that don't come up very often. Like things that are corner cases in standard might actually be pretty common in, in modern where I tend to, I have, I I have a love hate relationship with corner cases. I hate them when judges Focus on them so much that, or, or they consider knowing the corner cases is what makes you a good judge. Right. You know? And, and I think and, I
2: have a shirt about that. What's that? I think I have a shirt about that.
0: What's the, what's the shirt?
2: Yeah, that's only a corner case. It's a shirt. Oh,
0: it's only a corner case. Yes. Ah, the, the old Florida judge crew. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and we actually had, um, the old Florida group, we used to love to drill each other with corner cases and, There was, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and PG down this story, uh, for podcasts, but we used to drill each other with corner cases and, and weird situations and stuff like that. And we thought that it showed our mastery of policy because we understood all these corner cases. When in reality, what we were doing was we were bypassing the fundamentals and we had some people go in and test for level 2 and and not pass we had a, we had two judges go in pa- test for level 2 at a gp and didn't make it and like the feedback that we got from it at the time was you guys spend so much time on corner cases and you don't spend any in arguing over those and notes and you're not spending as much time on the fundamentals and that's why you have uh you don't have two new L2s this weekend and that was the same week and I still remember it. It was one of these great questions of back before the current miss trigger policy was what it was when you got a warning for missing any trigger. It was, um, I take control of Isaac's turn with, uh, hey. with Mindslaver. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you. Yep. And then something happens and we miss one of his triggers. Who gets the warning? And we would just sit there and argue and like and pontificate and navel gaze and be all smug and stuff like that as to as to how we, you know, were able to have these great fundamental philosophical questions. And it really it was just like, it's like, well, who forgot it? They just give it to them. Go on. Why why are you? Why are you worrying about this? So. So, yeah. So I, I hate I hate triggers or sorry, I hate corner cases in that way. But also they, they can be good for noodling things out. And sometimes the only way that you can actually get rules, uh, rules questions or can see if someone actually knows a rule is to come up with like really convoluted scenarios.
2: I, so, I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, on the, the L3 test, the rules portion of it, yeah. how many of those questions uh, on average would you say are, are corner cases and how many are more fundamental?
0: They are – it's been a long time since I've actually looked at, a, at an L3 test. I would say there's, there's not many corner cases. There are complicated questions with multiple interactions that you have to keep track of. So the questions are as a whole more involved, significantly more involved than your normal scenario that you would encounter at an event on the floor.
1: So it's, it's less that the individual cards have rules bits that are hard to remember or or right. don't are not intuitive, but more that there's just it's just more convoluted, there's like, more stuff going into it.
0: Yeah, like like knowing like certain things like knowing that uh a creature card is different from a creature or reading that the card says uh whenever it becomes targets of a spell an opponent controls instead of a spell or ability an opponent controls. You know, there's a lot of little are you paying attention questions. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that there's a, a lot of corner. Quarter- I mean, there are some obscure rules in there. Yes. Uh, but it's more just paying attention to all the little moving bits and pieces and knowing how those bits and pieces fit together. Right. Okay. okay. So let's, let's get started with, uh, something that's, that's not really a corner case because it actually comes up a lot, but it kind of surprises people, uh, when it comes up. So there's this card that's that's occasionally in Dredge called Golgari Grave Troll.
1: Occasionally in Dredge. Occasionally.
0: occasionally. And it has an ability that says Golgari Grave Troll enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each creature card in your graveyard. So I have a Golgari Grave Troll. I have three other creatures in my graveyard, and I play some sort of reanimation effect. How big is the Golgari Grave Troll? Is it, uh, normally you would say, okay, well, the Golgari Grave Troll enters the battlefield. It, there's three creatures in the graveyard, gets three counters, right?
1: Hmm, not quite. No? Well, Golgari Grave Troll, until very recently, (laughs) was also in your graveyard. So it's, it, it, it sees itself, basically, is what that boils down to. So So if you had, if you had three other, Creatures in your graveyard and also the Grave Troll, it would get four.
0: Right, the replacement effect. So there's there's no in between zone. It's either in the graveyard or it's on the battlefield. Okay, and when there's does, there's
1: no window in, <clears throat> in between.
0: Right, it does it doesn't go on the st- in that particular case, it doesn't go on the stack or anything like that. It's either in the graveyard or it's on the battlefield, and that replacement effect gets applied right before it enters the battlefield. So where is it? It's in the graveyard. So it's going to see itself, and it's going to get that additional plus one, plus one counter. Now, that's that's not so much like a corner case or anything like that. This is kind of a softball, and given, you know, modern as are, they are, and modern is MCQ season right now. Uh, this is something that, that that both players and judges should be aware of.
2: This actually comes up in standard every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, in, in current standard, there's that new card that enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter for each different mana cost among cards in your graveyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there are a number of reanimation spells in standard. Uh, I actually had a question about this that came up in a standard tournament where someone reanimated that and wanted to know if it countered its own mana cost. Oh, the em- embodiment of agonies. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's that, that a, with a, a plus weird one, plus one counter anyway. for
0: each different mana cost. Yeah. So that's a, that's a fine, that's a fine, fine example. Oh, and look, even in the reminder text, uh, uses an example of its own mana cost. So... Oh, does it. That's nice. Yeah.
1: Embodiment of Agonese does.
0: Yeah, it's just okay. Ca- hey, casual, uh... Hey, this counts, too. Um... That's neat. Yep. So now let's let's start getting into maybe some of the, the, the less obvious stuff. Now, I, I do want to remind people before we get started, the difference between a corner case and you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Like, all questions are easy when you know the answer. Okay. Yeah. So... Some of these, some of these that we go over, you might actually say, Oh, well, I knew that. Okay.
1: Cool. And that's awesome. That's great. I'm pretty. glad that you knew that.
0: Yeah. But, but hopefully, hopefully you'll learn some, You'll learn something. Hopefully, actually, there was, we, we were talking before the episode and Isaac actually schooled me on some stuff. So, uh, maybe, maybe we'll learn some stuff too.
1: Going into this as well, we had reached out to listeners. We had asked listeners to send us some corner cases, their favorite ones, and, uh, also include answers the uh if if your corner case is not in this episode i'm very sorry um there were quite a few submitted many of them did not include the answers and we had asked to include them and also there things get really weird really quick so we we included some but obviously we could not include every one so if you're not here i'm sorry uh, that being said, uh, we can go right in with one that was submitted to us uh, by Paul Harris. Um, the exact text of what he sent us was, My favorite corner case is with Master of Cruelties and combat time reanimation effects like Alesha. So um, Master of Cruelties uh, says whenever Master of Cruelties attacks a player and isn't blocked. Um, the reason this is a corner case and goes against Everything, basically every episode where you bring up something about it, things that don't actually care if the creature attacked. Well, um, yeah, when Master of Cl- can, we,
0: can we finish reading all of all of yep. Master of Cruelties?
1: I don't have all the text okay. of Master of Cruelties in sure. front of me.
0: Uh, So it's, it's a 1-4 first strike death touch. Master of Cruelties can only attack alone. It says whenever Master of Cruelties attacks a player and isn't blocked that player's life total becomes one master of cruelty assigns no combat damage this combat.
1: Okay. So the fundamental piece of this is whenever master of Cruelty attacks and isn't blocked, uh, the ability doesn't care if the creature actually attacked, um, as in had to be declared as an attacker. Um, and this works in the opposite way of many cards that say, whenever this attacks, um, because, uh, Brian looked up the rule for this. And Brian, didn't you say this is something that was not even clear to you before we right. came into this? Like, I I, re- I, read this
0: and it says, whenever a master of cruelties attacks a player and isn't blocked, uh, do, do this thing. And I was like, oh, well, it was put onto the battlefield. You know, whenever it attacks, it never, it never attacked. No, nah, it doesn't trigger. And, you know, Paul was like, oh, no, it's actually in the release notes. And I was like, oh. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, so there's a rule that says... So apparently, whenever this, cre- whenever this uh, creature attacks, is actually different from whenever this creature attacks and isn't blocked. Those <laughs> triggers work different.
2: Um, um, yeah, it's one of those cases where Wizards wants, wants the, the words on the card to, to say a thing that, that sounds normal. Uh, and then they just add in a rule that, say, that says, hey, these words actually mean something else. So basically, the trigger condition for that, uh, the way it works is as though it said, uh, whenever Master of Cruelties becomes unblocked. Namely, it's, it's declared as not being blocked, uh, but we don't actually care if it attacked or not.
1: So it is the status of not being blocked, not attacking, and then not being blocked.
0: Right. right. Yeah. And, and they're, they're trying to be fancy with the wording because, you know, if they just said whenever Master of Cruelties isn't blocked – then do so and so. I'd be like, well, it's not blocked during my upkeep. It's not blocked during my main phase either.
1: <laughs> so and this is
0: great. Oh yeah, all the time. It's just you're it's one just gonna constant. keep triggering over and over. Right.
2: I love which being is a whole another, which
0: creates a whole nother set of corner cases because then you got to wonder about like these state based triggers, which we're not going to get into. What? So, yeah. So,
1: (laughs) Isaac's, Isaac's like, excuse me?
0: (laughs) Well, we can't if, Isaac, if you want to go off-roading, uh, be my guest. So, so yeah, so this is, this is a trigger that, uh, so whenever a creature attacks and isn't blocked, those triggers actually trigger after the, after declare blockers. And because it's worded differently, it specifically says in the rules, it will trigger even if the creature was never declared as an attacker. For example, entering the battlefield attacking, which is like, I don't know. I'm going to make a statement and Isaac's going to be like, Oh, well, this one card It's like it says, for example, if it entered the battlefield attacking, is there another way for it to be attacking and not declared as an attacker?
2: Uh, it could have been created attacking as a token. That's a copy of master of qualities.
0: Wasn't that in in still entering the battlefield attacking?
2: Uh, I mean, it still enters the battlefield. Um, there's, Oh, there's a new card. I think there's a new card from commander 2019 that, uh, it's like whenever your opponent attacks, you can give them control of this card, and it's attacking under their control. So if you, if in response to that trigger, you turn it into a Master of Cruelties, uh, I think that accomplishes what you want. We asked the right guy <laughs> to come on. This perfect. perfect. So
1: the thing, like Isaac, is perfect for this not only because he has a good understanding of how things interact, but he has a uh, substantial depth of knowledge of just a lot of cards. So. It's like, oh, I need what's an example cuz this is something I struggle with. Like I I know the sort of card I want to use, but I don't have a specific card. That is that is another thing that Isaac
2: excels at.
0: Okay. Um so Isaac, do you want to do you want to do this next one that came in from Trevor?
2: Uh sure, sure. Let's see here. Uh Oh, yeah, okay. All right. Should I just read the uh read the whole thing?
0: Uh sure, if you want or if you want to pose it as a question, either or.
2: Sure, sure. Let's, let's go with the question. So, uh, my opponent has a, uh, storm the vault on the battlefield, which is the back face of one of the, uh, double faced cards from Ixalan. And I cast dispersal, which says each opponent returns a non land permanent they control with the highest CMC among the permanents they control to its owner's hand uh, and then discards a the card. So the, the question is how do we, how do we determine the CMC of this card?
0: Okay, and you you mean the, uh, the, it's the front face, Storm the Vault is the front face of, uh, uh, Vault, vault of. of
1: Cat- Cat- Cat-
0: Catlicon?
2: Oh, sorry, okay, yes. It, the, that physical card, uh, its back face is currently up.
0: Which is, it's a land.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the, the, the answer is we, we determine the CMC by looking at the front face. Uh, however, dispersal sneakily says non land permanent, so since it's a land, even though it has an mana cost of, I think, four, uh, it, it does not get returned, <laughs> so because it's, it's eligible. Uh, however, to choose the uh, the more interesting part there. Sorry,
1: I was gonna say it's you're you're doing like it's it's still a legal. Uh, sorry, never mind. Ignore me.
2: So yeah, so so the dispersal it's it's only telling you to return a non-land permanent, but it's checking the converted mana cost among all of your permanents. So if your highest converted mana cost is on a land. Uh, it sees you know this is the highest mana cost, so then it looks for a non permanent with that converted mana cost, and it can't find one, so uh, you just don't return anything. It does not
1: then look at the next highest right. one because it's it, there's there's no <clears throat> check to say oh this isn't a this is the highest CMC, but it's a land. What's next? That right. it that doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, right. we don't know yeah, if they have no, land with CMCs. Yeah. yeah. If if you had uh, if there were just, if there was a second permanent that had a converted mana cost of Manacosta four, then you would have to return that one. You, you couldn't choose to you know try and return the uh, the the I think it's called the Vault of cat Cat-Lican. Yeah. You couldn't mm-hmm. try and return that and fail if there's another one with CMC four. You have, have to return one if you can. But if you can't, it doesn't go down and start checking for the next highest CMC. It just sees mm-hmm. that you can't do this. There's there's nothing with there are no non land permanents with the highest CMC, so it does nothing. All right.
0: So this this was actually kind of weird, just in general. Which is, um you know, when you when you're studying the rules, uh something that's that's kind of weird when you learn is that double face cards, when the back side is showing, its CMC for cards that care about CMC is actually the CMC on the front side, Um and that took people some time to get used to because that was actually a change. It used to be,
1: backside, yeah, this is not always been true, up.
0: right? But things like Cards like that, it actually made, like, abrupt decay really good. So they. yeah. For, I think Ratchet Bomb.
2: Yeah, yeah. Ratchet,
0: Ratchet Bomb got a, uh, right. They made, they made this change when, uh, when we went back to Innistrad. Um, and it's the same thing with, uh, Meld. Uh, is it Meld? Meld's the ability, right? No.
2: The, yeah. the one that gives you giant cards. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so there's, there's, uh, a, a series of cards where there's two of them together and when you have both of them on the on the battlefield they will actually exile the cards and then they come back to the battlefield you flip them over on the back and you put the two cards together
1: and it's one big card it's they look very ca- silly if you look at them at the back side one on each on their own
0: right it looks like like old uh, puzzle cards from like baseball packs from the 80s but you you go through all these hoops. I get creature one in play. I get creature two in play. I satisfy the condition to meld them together. And they flip over. And then someone just like, I ratchet bomb for zero. Or I abrupt decay <laughs> your guy. And you're just like, oh.
1: I had never really considered the timing behind that change. But you know, that makes sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah, um, I think it was before. It was in, I think it was in the first set of the new Innistrad block. Because I, I remember that people were like complaining a lot about i think it was ratchet bomb was the one that that kept getting mentioned but yeah people didn't like being able to destroy everything for zero so they changed it yeah
0: there's a lot a lot of things that are that are great for wiping out mass hordes of tokens but if you gotta like work for a big card it it just kind of sucks to have it blown away all right so so here's one
2: that so oh can we can we go back for one second sure Uh, i I just wanted to say that the uh, so the rule is that you know it has the the back face has the converted mana cost of the front face, but there are a couple exceptions to that, and I just want to be sure we mention those. So can you can you tell me what one of the exceptions is?
0: It is if it is a let's see here.
1: I can tell you that I can't tell you.
0: No, okay. If the if I have a clone or other copy of the back face of a card then it's not going to have a CMC.
2: Uh, well, it, it will have a CMC. It'll just be zero.
0: It'll, okay. Uh, yeah.
2: Rather than the front. Uh, everything has a CMC. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if, uh, if, if your, your, your thing uh, either doesn't have a front face because it's like a clone or uh, a token that was created as a copy, then it won't have, uh, it will have Kimberman has zero. Uh, or interestingly enough, if you take a double-faced card that's actually double-faced and it's, it's transformed and you turn it into a copy of another double-faced card, uh, it's it still seems zero. So for for example, if I have, yeah. So for example, if I have you know uh, Delver of Secrets and the backface is Insectile Aberration, I have two transformed Delver of Secrets on the battlefields. So they're both Insectile Aberrations, and I cast Mirror Weave to turn one Delver into a copy of the other Delver. Uh, well, now the Delver that's a copy, even though it, it still looks exactly the same, since it's technically a copy of something, uh, it no longer has converted mana cost one, and now has converted mana cost zero. great Uh, I'd
1: forgotten about that
0: I'm sure it's in our release notes episode where we talk about double face cards (laughs) I remember remember knowing about that at one point in time just not recently
2: that's awesome can I I ask a follow up question absolutely Uh, do you know the card elemental resonance Uh,
0: it's something about mana uh, equal to it's converted mana cost
2: Uh, yeah, so it's at the beginning of, I think, your pre-combat main phase. You add mana to your mana pool equal to the mana cost of enchanted permanent. So if you have a transformed, uh, a transformed Delver of Secrets, so Insectal Liberation, uh, and you enchant it with Elemental Resonance, uh, what, what happens when the trigger resolves?
0: Okay, so this is a, what, what was the setup again? I have a transformed double-face card?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and you enchanted with elemental resonance. So here, here's the exact text. Okay. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, add mana equal to enchanted permanence mana cost.
1: Do you not get anything because it doesn't have a mana cost?
2: That is it's lo- correct. It's yeah. looking
1: at the the like actual like color and yep. little symbol in the corner. Yeah. Not the CMC.
2: Yeah, yeah. And this is one of the cases where the distinction between mana cost and converted mana cost is mm-hmm. very relevant. The back face, it ha it still has no mana cost. It only takes the converted mana cost of the front, but it still has no mana cost. Well and that's
1: like another like we were talking about embodiment of agonies earlier that also looks at mana cost, not
2: converted yeah. mana cost. Yeah, that one confuses a lot of people.
1: All right. Well I love that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So here's the here's the next scenario. And it's not so much a rules question as just but kind of a, a neat thing. So uh, if I have a Leon and Arbiter out, this is, this is kind of real precise with, with timing rules. So if I have a Leon and Arbiter out, it says players can't search libraries. Any player may pay two for that player to ignore this effect until end of turn. So I have out the Lian and Arbiter, uh, broken, uh, sacrifices Ghost Quarter targeting their land. Ghost Quarter says tap, sacrifice Ghost Quarter, destroy target land. Uh, its controller may search their library for a basic land card, put that onto the battlefield, then shuffle their library. Now, Paying the mana for Leon and Arbiter is a special, uh, is a special action. Doesn't use the stack, but it has to be done when you have priority. Okay. So, you would actually have to pay the two mana before the ability for Ghost Quarter resolves. So if I activate, if I activate Ghost Quarter to pay, and then pass priority to my opponent, or sorry, uh, Brogan had Ghost Quarter. So Brogan activates, a, a Ghost Quarter, and then passes priority to me and I say it resolves, we're in destroying the land and searching the library. We don't have the opportunity to uh pay mana with Leon and Arbiter. So Brogan would actually have to retain priority and pay that pay that too.
1: Then this is the sort of thing where I I <laughs> it gets it's so not intuitive.
0: Right. And it gets a little weirder. So when we talk about advancing phases and, and, uh, you know, advancing to the next step in the next phase of the game, both players have to pass priority in succession. So Brogan activates her ghost quarter, pays the two while she's got priority. Okay. After she's paid two in this special action to, to ignore the effect, it's her priority again. And she has to pass priority to, to me. And I actually get the ability to, to do something. And I can all say Flicker the Leonin Arbiter, okay? And Flicker is just basically exile a creature and put it back into play. Now it's a Leonin Arbiter again. It's a new object. It's got a new rule (laughs) that says Brogan's got to pay another two or she can't search. But generally speaking, it's it's kind of a weird thing where after you pay for a special action, you whoever paid for it gets priority, and then you have to pass to the other person, and they can do something before we... Continue on and pass.
1: So you flicker your lean and arbiter, and I have to pay again. Do I get yeah. the opportunity to pay for my ghost quarter?
0: Uh, yeah, you'd have to you'd have to pay again because okay, so I just I just cast a cast a spell, it resolves, I get priority, I have to pass back to you, and then you have to pay. And if you don't pay, then the topmost object of the stack resolves, which is your ghost quarter ability, and you don't get to search. Womp womp. Womp womp. So that's just that's less of a the, the specific corner case is sometimes the priority passes because that's a question that's come up is if I take a special action and don't do anything else, does that does that count as am I am I passing? Am I not passing? Does that count as far as resetting the action count? And the answer is uh yeah. All right. Yeah, even
2: just uh even just activating a mana ability does if you're uh for example, if I if I mana leak my opponent's spell. And they respond by tapping some mana. Uh, I, I can at that point I can say, "Oh, oh well, now I I don't want to waste my mana leak, so I'm gonna I'm gonna remand it uh, before you know before it resolves." Of course, that one you can get around by just waiting until the mana leak resolves uh, and then paying for it at that point, since you get a chance. And to... you, oh,
0: you turned it. But have right that's not a mana ability, like, do you want to say uh, that again? You turn it into a robot for a second.
2: Sure. If I mana leak my opponent's spell and they tap for mana in response uh, i can say oh okay well now that i i know you've done that and you've you've made that mana i can you know remand my mana leak and use it again later and now you've wasted your mana and uh, that one's easy enough to get around if you tap the mana while the mana leak is resolving since it asks for a mana payment so you can activate mana abilities at that point but if you had something that makes mana that's not a mana ability like death right shaman then uh then you you have to do it before the mana leak resolves and gives priority back to your opponent. So the 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 right play
1: in ser- scenarios where you want to actually is just to pay for the mana leak with your mana abilities, but be aware of your cards that may not be mana abilities. So,
0: yeah. So, so that's actually uh, an interesting an interesting situation where even though mana leak says pay three, I can tap five or six or nine mana. Okay. Uh, so I can essentially overtap for mana to to make that payment, but I can't overtap for things like Convoked or something like that. If I was if I was using those abilities to cast a spell, yeah, okay. <laughs> what <Do you> wanna, <laughs> do, I actually want to do this 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 next one, but I want to give some other people. Do you want to do you want to jump to the Stifle, Isaac?
2: Uh sure, sure. So so let's say that I cast Animate Dead, and this is everyone's favorite card because it does something fairly simple but it has way more text than it should so let me let me go ahead and read out the text uh, enchant creature card in a graveyard all right that's that's weird but simple enough but then it also has a trigger that says when animate dead enters the battlefield if it's on the battlefield it loses enchant creature card in the graveyard and gains enchant creature put onto the battlefield with animate dead return enchanted creature card to the battlefield under your control and attach animate dead to it when animate dead leaves the battlefield that creature's controller sacrifices it and then it also says enchanted creature gets minus a minus zero. So the question is, I play animate dead. Uh, I target the, this bear cub in my graveyard and, uh, and then my opponent stifles the animate dead trigger. What in the world happens here?
0: Um, so I, I start off with a, with a card that says in an enchant creature card in a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Cool. Trigger goes on the stack. It gets stifled. So all that big block of when animate dead enters the battlefield, if it's on the battlefield it loses, blah blah blah. None of that happens. <laughs> so go go look at the art for this card. They they had to write it in like three point font. It's so uh, small. So then it's got this this little, way down at the bottom of this paragraph, uh it just says enchanted creature gets minus one minus zero. And it's but it's enchanting a creature card in your graveyard. So, I guess the question is, uh, does he get that minus, does he get that minus one, minus zero? So, so you're well, I, think the, with, I think
1: the bigger question is, what happens to your animate dead? Well, it's, it's still enchanting, it's, it's on the battlefield.
0: It's
2: enchanting,
1: enchanting your card in the graveyard. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, I just, I just have this enchantment on my card in my graveyard. This is a perfectly normal thing. I don't know why, like, this is weird. This is, just, I see this all the time.
0: Yeah, in, in your <laughs> commander games, maybe, where you can make it happen. <laughs> so so yeah so it's it's on the battlefield, and we've got this enchanted creature gets minus zero minus uh minus, minus one, one minus now before we began this episode, I was like, "Oh well, um, I mean no nah, it says enchanted creature it doesn't say enchanted creature card uh so I would think that it wouldn't apply to the creature in the in the graveyard uh the it was a bear cup, right, so it was my bear yeah. cup the two two or one two, and I looked at this, and I was like well i I think it's a Still a 2 because it's not a creature; it's a creature card. And I got well actually.
1: I don't think you got well actually. Yeah, I'm taking dramatic license here. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> so,
0: so, so what's what's the, what's the answer, Isaac?
2: Yeah. So uh, we have a little known rule that says an ability of a permanent that refers to the enchanted object or player refers to whatever object or player that permanent is attached to. So uh, this is this is actually necessary. For Animate Dead to work as it's supposed to. Because as, as we're going through the resolution of this trigger, it loses Enchant Creature Card in the Graveyard and gains uh, Enchant Creature put onto the Battlefield with Animate Dead. But then, uh, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, I was, uh, I, I, I confused myself there. No, that, that is not relevant for that. However, the rule, the rule still exists. And it's relevant because we have that text that says Enchanted Creature gets minus one, minus zero. And, uh, and this rule says that even though it says Enchanted Creature and not Enchanted Creature card, it still refers to the card in the graveyard. So the bear cub is indeed a 1-2. Uh, a and if something cares about its power, uh, it will see it as a 1-2. Yeah, this is,
0: this, is, this is crazy. And, and here's, a, <laughs> here's another thing. So the rule uh, for this is, is 303.4m. I think it's K. Uh, K is something else but what i noticed in looking at k and m is there's no 303.4l which
1: because it looks like a 1
0: right which gets us uh, into the the uh, a little known uh, fact about the naming convention of rules uh they don't use o's and they don't use l's when lettering things
1: because and they yeah, it looks like look like ones and zeros
2: yeah yeah, yeah. For those for those like three people who have actually read the introduction to the comp rules, they actually say that in the uh, in the introduction. That they don't use those letters.
1: Oh, there's like a a, a an acknowledgement that throughout this document we are not going to use these letters. Yep. Yeah.
2: Many of the numbered rules are divided into sub rules, and each separate rule and subrule of the game has its own number. Note that sub rules skip the letters L and O due to potential confusion with the numbers one and zero.
0: Love it it was back when i was a little a little baby judgling uh occasionally you would get people like i found an error in the rules they're missing you know 3034l or whatever the equivalent was at the time uh like state based actions or something like that and you got to have this okay let's let's have a, let's have an education moment for a second
1: i'm going to learn you something
0: yeah all right
2: so you got to follow up Uh, yeah, yeah, well, should I... Can I I do the Animate Dead follow-up? Sure, go for it. Alright, so, we have... uh, A player uh, had had this Animate Dead thing happen to them, and they were really upset that their opponent stifled their Animate Dead trigger, so they resolved never to have this happen again. And in order to avoid it, they put Yarak the Desecrated in their deck, which says, uh, when a permanent... uh, If a permanent entering the battlefield would cause a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, uh, it triggers an additional time. So player has Yarak on the battlefield, and they play Animate Dead, again, enchanting the bear cub in their graveyard, and it puts two Animate Dead triggers on the stack. What happens now?
0: Okay. So the first one's going to resolve as per normal, right? And we're going to get that creature out of the graveyard and put it on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. And the second one's going to go to resolve, and it says when Animate Dead enters the battlefield, if it's on the battlefield, which it is, it loses Enchant Creature card in a graveyard, Okay, so it had already lost that, so that's not gonna do anything. And it gains enchant creature put onto the battlefield with animate dead. Okay, so I think it's gonna gain that twice?
1: <laughs> this is where it
2: loses me. <laughs>
0: is it, is it gonna be an enchant creature, enchant creature?
2: It's gonna have uh, that ability twice? It, it has, it has the ability enchant creature put onto the battlefield with animate dead twice. Yep.
0: Okay. And then return enchanted creature card to the battlefield under your control, which you can't do, and attach animate dead to it, so you can't do that. And then when and then when animate then when Dead leaves the battlefield, that creature's controller is going to sacrifice it, which is which you didn't put that creature on the battlefield with this ability, so it's not going to set that up. So yeah, so you're going to have that you're going to have that on there twice.: Yeah. does anything else happen? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. like it doesn't get enchant creature. It gets a minus two minus zero. that doesn't happen.
1: The fact that he's asking really makes me believe there's something else going on yeah, here. It's,
0: it's if when animate Dead leaves the battlefield, you're going to have to sacrifice it twice. I don't think so. Uh,
2: no, no. So the, the delayed trigger is referring to the creature that was returned. So the delayed trigger that's created for the second resolution isn't referring to any creatures. It'll still trigger when Animated leaves the battlefield, but it won't mm-hmm. do anything. Because it has okay. no uh,
1: creature to refer back to?
0: I, I don't yeah. see anything that it would do, anything else that it would do.
2: So uh, you're you're correct. It actually does oh. not do anything else. However, there's a rule that might have made it do something else, uh, (laughs) but, uh, luckily it doesn't. (laughs) However, if. Well, hold on. There's a lot of rules that might do things, but luckily (laughs) they don't. Well. There's a whole lot of those. So there, uh, there's a, a rule, uh, in the section on linked abilities that says, uh, if an object has an activated or triggered ability printed on it that ref- puts one or more objects onto the battlefield and an ability printed on it that refers to objects put onto the battlefield with this object, those abilities are linked. So uh, if that applies to Animate Dead, that means that each instance of, uh, quote, enchant creature put onto the battlefield with Animate Dead uh, are referring to uh, different different creatures. And, or, or, or rather, the second one isn't referring to any creature because it didn't return anything. Uh, so that would cause uh, that would cause animate dead to to not not be attached to a, a legal thing and go to the graveyard. However, uh, however, the the wording on this rule is very specific, uh, and it says that it has to have the ability printed on it. And animate dead, the trigger is printed on it, but the enchant creature put onto the battlefield with animate dead is not printed on it. That's granted to it by the trigger. So this rule on linked abilities does not apply to animate dead, and it can successfully stay on the battlefield. Alright,
1: that's
0: <laughs> that's absurd. So it's 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 sort of like okay, so for characteristic defining abilities, it actually says the ability has to be on the card and not granted by another ability right. in order for it to be a characteristic defining ability. So this rule's kinda the same thing for linked abilities. Uh right,
2: right. It okay. has to actually
0: be printed on it. Alright. So but it's printed right there. I can read the words. <laughs> But because it's embedded in a trigger, it's not an actual ability. Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Okay. And now you got you got a follow-up right here that's going to make me look up a card.
2: Oh, sure. So instead of Animate Dead, you have Necromancy, which is a, a similar card, but it's a bit different. And okay. it's, it's the same question, but instead of playing Animate Dead with Yarak on the battlefield, you play Necromancy with Yarak on the battlefield.
0: All right. What, so. what happens then? So, okay, so I'm going to skip over the you may cast necromancy as though it had flash Yeah, at least we don't care about that. Yeah, we don't care. So when necromancy enters the battlefield, if it's on the battlefield, it becomes an aura with enchant creature put into the battlefield, put onto the battlefield with necromancy. Put target creature card from a graveyard onto the... B- oh, do you get two? Put, tar- uh, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control and attach necromancy to it. Uh-oh. When Necromancy leaves the battlefield, that creature's controller sacrifices it. So this is with Yarek the Desecrated. I'm gonna get this trigger twice. It enters the battlefield as an enchantment. The first trigger is gonna go, I'm gonna it becomes an enchant creature put into the battlefield with, with necromancy. Oh, hold on. I'm gonna go grab a target oh. creature card, I'm gonna put it in, I'm gonna attach necromancy to it. And then the trigger's gonna happen again. It's gonna say enchant creature card put on the battlefield with necromancy. Um, I'm going to go get another creature card, bring it to the battlefield, attach necromancy to it. Then, enchant creature put onto the battlefield. It's still enchanting a creature put onto the battlefield with necromancy. So yeah, you get, so the first creature that you get is just a freebie. And then this thing is attached to, uh, something. And then if necromancy leaves the battlefield, both creatures get nuked.
2: Yep. Yeah. Because so, Necromancy isn't an aura, so it doesn't have to enchant a certain a single thing. It just has the the ETB trigger. You choose a target for it. So if you target two different creatures, they'll both come back. Necromancy will end up attached to whichever one came back second, but they'll both be on the battlefield uh, until the Necromancy goes away. At which point, they'll both be sacrificed.
1: Wow. All so right. so they're they're both there. Necromancy is attached to one of them, and they're both impacted mm-hmm. when Necromancy leaves. Yep. Rad.
0: All right, Bergen. I got a question for you. Uh huh. All right. So, um, I have on the battlefield. I like playing
1: Mirrodin. Uh, um, I, yeah. I all right. Proud of you. Okay.
0: So, so I, I'm playing an artifact deck, and I have a March of the Machines.
1: Of course you do. Uh,
0: of course I do. Which says each non-creature artifact is an artifact creature with power and toughness equal to its converted mana cost. Okay. So my that Soul seems, Rings are one seems one. Good. My silver inlaid dagger, because obviously Southeast Judge have to have the silver inlaid dagger. Uh, for all you Southeast Judge
2: listening, dagger check. Um, I'm not a
1: Southeast Judge, but I have one.
2: <laughs> my, yes. I, I have to get it from my computer to go get it. <laughs> so just, Do I just, to, say just have a dagger check.
0: <laughs> dagger check. Uh, <laughs> I think
1: if, I think you pass.
0: Yeah, if you're listening to this and you know what a dagger check is, please uh, post a picture of your dagger, your silver inlaid dagger, on Twitter. Love it. Uh, Silver inlaid dagger is a one-mana artifact. It's equipment. What it does is kind of irrelevant uh, for the text. But it's going to be a 1-1 creature. Then I have this thing called a Norok transmuter, which for two and a blue is a 2-2 human wizard. And it has this ability that says, until end, for blue, until end of turn, target artifact creature becomes blue and isn't an artifact. Okay. okay. So I have my silver inlaid dagger, is an artifact. I then have march of the machines that is making it an artifact creature. One one artifact creature. Then I activate this Norak Transmuter ability. It says until the end of the turn, target artifact creature. I'm going to target my silver inlaid dagger which is an artifact creature. It becomes blue and isn't an artifact. So it loses so when we go when we go through the layers um you know copy control text type uh, we have a, uh, an ability here that's saying it isn't an artifact, and then we have an ability that says non-creature artifacts are artifact creatures. So there's a little bit of a dependency, so we have to apply <laughs> Neurok ability first, which actually removes the type of artifact from the artifact.
1: Because okay. it was an artifact creature?
0: Because it was an artifact creature. Now I've removed artifact... And because it's no longer an artifact, it's no longer an artifact creature. So I now have a silver inlay dagger on the battlefield with no type.
1: Really don't like that.
0: So what happens to the silver I, Is it a 1-1? Well, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a nothing. It's just there. Um,
2: oh, I have a question. Is it, is it still an equipment? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> Why is it not an equipment?
0: Because only artifacts can be equipment.
1: This is the dumbest thing. (laughs)
0: Okay. Not only not only that, but you can't equip it either. Because since it's not an equipment, you can't equip it if it's not an equipment. That's a rule too. So so I have okay, so what happens? Is it there's a rule that says if you try and put a sorcery or an instant on the battlefield it goes away. But this isn't a land, it's not an artifact, it's not an enchantment, it's not a planeswalker. (laughs) It's not tribal. It's not tribal. It's
1: not tribal.
0: What happens to it? Nothing. And the (laughs) dumbest thing in the world. So this is, this is one of those rules that if you're, if you're sitting down and reading the CR and you encounter this rule, you're going to ask yourself, what? But, uh, 110, 110 110.4c. If a permanent somehow loses all of its permanent types, it remains on the battlefield. It's still a permanent.
1: I, so. This is where I'm so conflicted about things like this. I have a really hard time seeing how everything fits together, and I really enjoy listening to other people talk about them, and this is very silly, but, like, would I have ever known that there is a rule that says that? Absolutely not.
0: No, no. There's, there, there, there's so many, like, when I was, when I was studying, I actually sat down and tried to rule, um, read the CR, and there were tons of times where I'd, I'd encounter a rule, and I'd go on IRC, and I'd be like, why
1: this rule? Why does this exist?
0: Yeah, and there'd be, like, there was, like, a rule where it was something like, if an exiled card becomes exiled, it is exiled, but it is, it remains the same
2: object. That's actually a pretty new rule. What's that? That's a pretty new rule. It was added. It was added what? Uh, it was added with Containment Priest because Containment Priest is how you do it. If you have...
0: Oh. Uh, I don't think so. I, yeah, I think it predates
2: if, uh, if Does it predate Containment
0: Priest? Yeah, because I there's a uh, oh, Hold on. There's a Void Maw. That's what it was for. So
2: Here's all of us
1: frantically looking up parts. Void
0: Maw. Yeah. Void Maw is a card from Cold Snap uh, that says, if a creature would die, exile it instead. And then it says, put an exile put a card exiled with Void Maw into its owner's graveyard, Void Maw gets plus two, plus two until the end of turn. So if you have Void Maw <laughs> and Leyline of the Void, I take my exiled card and go to put it in my graveyard. It just goes back to exile. And, and so
1: the same... Wait, it's the same object? Right? No. Well,
0: the rule says it's a different object. Or, or sorry, it's, it, yeah, it becomes yeah. a different object. It, it remains exiled. So if an exiled card would be exiled, it remains exiled, but it's a different but object. It's a new object. So it's... So it's no longer a card exiled with Voidmaw. But before that rule, you could just, I'm going to go exile it. Oh, and it stays in exile. It's the
2: same thing. Let's just exile it a whole Let's bunch, and I get, a, I get an infinite large Voidmaw. Oh, you're right. Oh, you're right. I just I checked the rules from 2011, and that, that isn't there. That I was, I was wrong.
0: Now, how does – okay, broken sidebar. We picked the right person to have on if he can be like, oh, yeah – I see the rules update from 2011. I just
1: went and checked the rules from 2011.
0: I just went and looked, and it's totally
1: there. Okay, uh, we're back. Hey, Isaac. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: and you just you
2: disappeared right there. I've been bet, here, I bet you thought we left you alone for yeah, a little bit. We're, oh.
1: we're, we're John Cena. Like, we just waved our hands in front of our faces, and you couldn't <laughs> see or hear us anymore.
0: So what's this next one? It's just, it's just two card names. There's no explanation as to what the rule interaction is.
2: Oh, sure, sure. All right. So... Uh, we have a Skullbriar, uh, the walking grave. So, the relevant part here is that it says counters remain on Skullbriar as it moves to any zone other than a player's hand or library. So, let's say you have that Skullbriar on the battlefield and it has a plus one plus one counter on it, and your opponent plays a card called Phyrexian Ingester, uh, and what that does is it says, when Phyrexian ingester enters the battlefield, you may exile target non-token creature. And Phyrexian ingester gets plus X plus Y, where X is the exiled creature card's power, and Y is its toughness. Okay. So the question okay. is, uh, Phyrexian ingester by default is a 3-3, and Skullbriar by default is a 1-1. So we have this exiled Skullbriar with a plus and plus plus counter on it that was exiled to Phyrexian ingester. The question is, is Phyrexian ingester a, a 4-4 or a 5-5? Oh,
0: it's easy. It's a 5-5, because Skullbriar is a 2-2 in uh, all zones. It's there in exile. It's a 2-2. So, bye-bye. All right. Seems, well, that was easy. <laughs> seems, seems easy enough. I don't even know why, why I got included in the in the thing.
2: So, uh, you're correct that Skullbriar is a 2-2 in all zones. Yeah, however, I am. Y- you are, yeah. I can't yeah. argue with that. Nope. I uh, can't argue at all. <laughs> however, Great. We, have, uh, we have rules for effects like this. And uh, they, sometimes they're applied in, in kind of a weird order. So we have uh, a section in the rules on the interaction of continuous effects, and uh, interestingly, counters are included in this, even though this, counters aren't effects. This is, this is a
0: lot of words. Just tell me I'm right on that second part there. It's a 5-5. Five five.
2: So when we're changing power and toughness, we first uh, apply effects that modify power or toughness, like Phyrexian and Jester, and afterwards, we, mo- we apply counters. So what happens is Phyrexian Ingestor uh, applies first, and it says, you know, oh, hey, the Skullbriar is currently a 1-1, so uh, I'm going to get plus 1 mm-hmm. plus 1. And then after that, we apply Skullbriar's counter, and Skullbriar ends up as a 2-2, but uh, ingester just thinks it's a 1-1. Because, you know, it's in its stomach, and it can't see it very well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reason. So this is, <laughs> when, when people are learning uh, layers, one of the things that they come across is, you know, obviously... Um, Characteristic finding abilities, when you're looking at power and toughness, characteristic finding abilities being first makes sense. People understand, you know, setting the power and toughness to a specific value. But then when they get to adding, like, you know, target creature gets plus three, plus three until end of turn is a separate step from counters. That's that's a separate layer.
1: It it operates in a different way.
0: Well, why are they different? When does it when does it ever matter that they're different? Now, I don't want to imply that they're separate layers because of this, but it it, makes makes this, this is like, and and Isaac, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think this is like the only time it matters, that particular ordering of those layers.
2: Uh, It's it's definitely one of the only ones. So, I mean, you can change up the scenario slightly by getting a different card index with plus and plus encounters on it, Uh, but you still need the Phyrexian adjuster and uh so it's basically the same scenario
0: what other card can you get into exile with plus one plus one counters on it
2: any permanent card
0: with any permanent card yeah
2: with plus one plus one counters yeah
0: okay school me on this
2: uh you you turn into a copy of skullbriar first and then you exile it that's cheating (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a it's a skullbriar on the battlefield so right before the event the game looks and says hey it, it doesn't lose these counters so it moves to exile steals the counters it stops being a skullbriar, but uh the counters are still there cheats
1: i love that i like that you presented that as like yeah this is obviously any card knowing, <laughs>
0: this, is, knowing this is where like
1: that the obvious question was okay how clearly clearly
2: and and I, but, so if I may, at the beginning, if I may, uh, I, 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 I was a little too restricted earlier. I said you could only get it on permanent cards, but that's not true. Because uh, if you have a manifested instant or a sorcery and you turn that into a copy of Skullbriar, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, awesome. I, I hate this episode. Um, what, now.
1: <laughs> what Brian was was definitely not trying to demonstrate at the beginning of this question was the bad judge behavior that he was talking about earlier of just. Asking hard questions and knowing the answers without understanding yep. why.
0: That, that is, that is a, a big thing when you, um, and I, I called it uh, uh, ruling by anecdote. Um, and it's when you know how cards interact. So because I know how these two cards interact, I see another situation that is similar to it. So therefore, it must interact the same way but the wording might be slightly different or the situation might be slightly different and you get a completely different result while you can use past experience to help inform rulings on current cards. What you don't want to do is just take that ruling from that other situation and apply it, uh, without, without spending a little bit of time to think about it. All right. What, what's, what's next?
2: So, uh, uh, so first first off, uh, I actually have uh, have an example of, uh, of, of, mistakes, I said something earlier that was that was not true because I wasn't thinking. Okay. Throws me index with counters on it, it. Doesn't work because it uh, the face down status is applied afterwards, so it, it won't have Skullbriar's ability because it's still face down. Oh. I just wasn't thinking. Sure. Yeah, didn't oh. uh, even, even catch it.
1: <laughs>
2: so it's only it's only
1: slightly silly, not the silliest.
2: All right. So the next question here. Uh, is, this,
0: this is one of the things, though. I, I do want to highlight the fact that is when when Isaac starts talking about rule stuff, it's just yeah, I trust that. I trust it. <laughs> Whatever he says, yeah, that's the way it is. It's like, ah, the CR says different. Nah, I trust Isaac more.
2: I, I, I make mistakes. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Shh. Shh. We're
1: all human, and you know what? You, you've you realized what you said, and you came yeah, back. I said and it, was was like, and I was like, wait a second, this doesn't know? sound right.
2: Hold on. Uh, Alright, so our next question <laughs> here is, uh, we have uh, Ablation, which is a card that says, the owner of Target Nonland Permanent shuffles it into their library, then draws two cards. So my opponent has a token and I oblation it. So they take that That'd token. Be, would you oblate it? I, or you know not? what? I think you're right. I oblate the token. So I <laughs> oblation
0: it, it sounds kind of
2: weird. Uh, I, I, hold on, hold on. Um, no, no. Oblation. I'm going to oblate it. Uh, what is, what is present tense? No,
1: I, look. the no, name no, no. So oblation is not a
2: verb. <laughs> oblation is a noun for a thing presented or offered to a god. Oh, so yeah. So you oh. don't oblate it. it, it the, the, the token is the oblation. I think uh, there's oh, an alternative okay. uh, alternative definition where it is hmm. a verb, but I think the main I think the main definition is as a noun. I, I think I'm still
0: going to say oblate. <laughs> All right.
2: So we ob- we lead. oblate the token. So uh, we oblationize the token. <laughs> and uh, so my opponent, being a normal magic player, takes this token and shuffles it into their library, as everyone does. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> as you do, <laughs> you know, it ends up it ends up on top. And then the okay. ablation says to draw two cards. So what what happens when this player tries to draw the token?
0: Well, Clearly, you get a warning for marked cards because you knew where that token was the whole time because it's not in the sleeve.
1: <sighs> random <sighs> is random, I Brian.
0: Know. Hey, my opponent cut my deck so that my token's on top. So that token there is on top. So, uh,
1: do did... I draw a token? Uh, do I not draw anything?
0: Tokens can't change zones, but I'm not real super familiar with what uh, up on the rules for going from library to hand for tokens.
1: So, for what it's worth, this is relevant because you are like it's you're still in the middle of resolving the card. So usually your token would go away because of state based actions, but you're still resolving this card. So there's no opportunity for it to go away.
2: Yeah, state-based actions have not been checked yet. Uh, So we have a rule that says a player draws a card by putting the top card of their library into their hand. And I know that this astounds many of you listening, uh, because you didn't think that that's that's what drawing a card meant. (laughs) But uh, it turns out that tokens are not cards. So the top object of the player's library is currently a token, but it's not a card. So the player is trying to draw two cards, and they will successfully draw the top two cards of their library. The token just just stays there and kind of watches you, just just pass it over, and it, it, the token is really sad as to why you're ignoring it, and it's so sad that the next time state-based actions are checked, it How just it just it just goes away.
0: This is this is it's kind of weird at the same time because there's other situations like the whole Kefnet and fuse cards, okay. Well, where so, you actually so have God, God Eternal, copies God of card, cards. Yeah. God Eternal Kefnet uh, has an ability that says, you may reveal the first card you draw each turn as you draw it. Whenever you do, reveal an instant or sorcery card that way, copy that card, and you may cast that, car- cast that copy. Now, in the FAQ, they say that copy is created in your hand. But for some reason, they say that if the copy, if the card that you draw is one of these cards with fuse, um, you can cast the copy from your hand, and Fuse is specifically saying you cast the card. Like the rules text for, for Fuse, it says if a player casts a split card split card with Fuse from their hand, that player may choose to cast both halves of the split card rather than choose one half. So it's again, it's talking about the card that you're casting in your hand, but in this case, you're not casting a card, you're casting a copy of a card. But for some reason, we can do... We confuse it. Yeah,
1: that's
2: yeah. Weird. They, uh, I think they didn't think about that when writing the rules. Refuse, right? That's an interesting.
1: Isaac, it, it seems it seems that you have some thoughts on how rules are written.
2: I I have many thoughts on how rules are written. <laughs> what thoughts specifically are you referring to?
1: It seems to me as though like there is a certain level of going in, wanting to make the rules work similarly enough to and templates templated in similar ways to things that already exist enough that it breaks things sometimes. I
2: only heard about half of that because my internet is not great, but I heard enough of it to know that I probably agree with it.
0: I think, I think the summary, the summary is, Hey, are the comprehensive rules comprehensive? No, they are not. (laughs) Oh, those fighting words. May I provide an example?
2: Uh, be our guest, so I really like this Please example do. because it's an example of the rules actually uh pointing to their own non comprehensiveness uh, <laughs> so Wonderful. uh
0: the gauntlet is thrown down
2: uh so we have a a rule here, uh, and let me just find it here we go seven eighteen point three uh because, so in restarting the game uh <laughs> there's there's a rule that is basically just a reminder. Uh, it says because each player draws seven cards when the new game begins, any player with fewer than seven cards in their library will lose the game when state-based actions are checked during the first upkeep, right? Because they they tried to draw a card and uh, and could not. And and this rule is is just is basically there as a reminder. And it says C rule seven zero four state-based actions. Uh, but let's 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 go ahead and look at that rule. Seven zero four. Okay. Yep. Uh, we have the the specific rule for drawing out, which says. If a player attempted to draw a card from a library with no cards in it since the last time state-based actions were checked, that player loses the game. Uh, But on the first state-based action check of this new game during the upkeep, this criterion here is not true, since there was no last state-based action. Uh, So basically what's happening here is the rules are saying, hey, as a reminder, this player should lose the game. Uh, But there's no actual rule that explains why that player is losing the game.
1: (laughs) So it refers you back to... It works this way because of this, but the rule it's telling you to go to doesn't actually say Correct. what it says that it says.
0: <laughs> I guess they awesome. they kind of they must in some way just kind of assume that the restarted game is air quotes the same game.
2: Well, but it's not, though. The, uh, the rules very, very clearly tell us that it, it is a completely different game and doesn't doesn't from a from know.
0: a tournament perspective. It's the same same game.
2: Well, sure, but I mean, are you going to count? Are you going to count the last time state-based action as Oh, you know, my last round, I had this state-based action. It was. Hey,
0: there's a reminder rule that says I should. I, I get, I get, I get what you're saying. It's yes, it's it is. If this was like, if I was setting up requirements for a system that I was designing at work, I would consider this a gap, and have a little have a little comment in rev- in the in the peer review that says, "Hey, fix this." Yeah, and and there there are a number promptly, of... and it would promptly be written as a. Category four defect and put into the bowels of never
2: going to work this ever.
1: A <laughs> category yeah. four defect.
2: Yeah, there are a lot of parts of the rules where uh, it's 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 kind of clear what they what they mean to say, uh, but if you actually read what they do say, it's it's different.
0: Right. So <laughs> there was there was one one example that we were talking about before the show where I was like, yeah, here's a here's a fun little. Little little edge case situation. And we got to the end, and Isaac's like, Oh, yeah, that card doesn't work anymore. It does, but it doesn't really because of what they said. So, let me give you this scenario. So, there's a card called Soldevi Sentry. And I might have mentioned this on the show like four or five years ago. It says, For one mana, you pay one mana, choose target opponent, regenerate Soldevi Sentry. When it regenerates this way, that player may draw a card. It's a 1 1 creature. And so, I have this creature. I activate it. My target opponent is Isaac. Isaac,
2: we're not on a, a team. What's that? We're not on a team. Okay, I thought, we're, we're we're. I,
0: playing I was your friend. What? <laughs> oh, you betrayed well, me. Fine, let's we'll team up against Brogan. So I choose oh, fair. I accept. Uh, I target Brogan, and then Isaac is mad because I originally identified him as an opponent, <laughs> and he casts Puncture <laughs> Bolt on my Sodevi Sentry. My Soldevi Sentry, uh, uh, sorry, punk, Sol, yeah. Sol Devi Sentry is a one-one. Puncture Bolt says it deals one damage to target creature and put a minus one, minus one counter on that creature. Cool. So when state based actions go, I have a zero, I have a one, one creature with one damage marked on it and a minus one, minus one counter. So I have a zero, zero creature with one damage. And the question is, does it regenerate? Does Brogan get to draw the card? Because it says when it regenerates this way, that player may draw a card. So is it going to regenerate?
1: So does it get the opportunity to regenerate? And
0: so there's a whole lot. It's like, oh, well, the, okay, the state-based actions, I, I know how minus one, minus one counters and plus one, you know, work and, all, every, and death and everything's checked at the same time. So, and
1: what so, happens, Well, right?
0: all, all of that gyrations, it doesn't matter because the the lethal, the lethal damage state-based action actually only applies to creatures with a toughness of one or greater. So the only state-based action we actually care about is the creatures with zero or less toughness go to the graveyard. So Brogan's not going to get to draw a card. And while we we're talking about this scenario How dare you. So I Isaac, like, why don't you tell me why you're like, well, actually this card doesn't work anymore.
2: Sure. So when this card was was printed print well, I don't, when it was printed it was a long time ago. I have no idea appliances. how it worked back then. But uh But the the idea of this card, how it's supposed to work, is that it sets up a delayed trigger that's looking for the creature regenerating, and it'll trigger when it regenerates. Uh, However, in a Monket, or maybe shortly after Monket, but no, it should be a Monket, was just added in a new type of triggered ability called Reflexive Triggers. And these are for things like uh, Hypothesizzle, which say, you know, uh, like, draw a card and then discard a card. When you discard a card this way, it deals four damage to a target, you know, to any target. Uh, So the reflexive trigger, uh, a resolving spell or ability may allow or instruct a player to take an action and create a triggered ability that triggers when a player does or doesn't take that action or when something happens this way. Uh, These reflexive triggered abilities follow the rule for delayed triggered abilities, except they're checked immediately after being created and trigger based on whether the trigger event occurred earlier during the resolution of the spell or ability that created them. So for Hypothesizzle, what this means is that you cast Hypothesizzle, uh, you don't choose a target at that point, you just draw and discard or whatever it says to do, Uh, and then if you choose to discard that card, that puts a new trigger on the stack that can be responded to at that point. Uh, However, uh, Watsi made a mistake, uh, and they forgot that SolDevi Sentry existed. uh, It was a massive oversight. Uh, But the problem here is that SolDevi Sentry actually uses that same wording, uh, it says regenerate Soldevi Sentry. When it regenerates this way, that player may draw a card. So according to the rules on reflexive triggers, this is a reflexive trigger. So it only checks to see if it triggered right after it's created, and at that point, Soldevi Sentry hasn't regenerated yet. Uh, so under current rules, this 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 card just doesn't work. I mean, you can still regenerate it, but uh, no one will ever draw cards.
0: So we're 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 coming up we're coming up on the end of the list. Isaac, do you have any do you have any fun ones that you 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 wanna you wanna wow uh, the listeners with?
2: Okay, uh, do I have time to do this last one first? Uh, oh This yeah, one actually sure. comes up in Legacy. Actually, I actually okay. answered this exact question. Sure, go recent, for it. Uh, magic Fest. All right. So the question is, uh, I, I'm playing Miracles and I cast Brainstorm and on my opponent's turn, and the first card I pick up is a Terminus. So I, I think I, I hey I might want to cast this. So I reveal it to my opponent. And then I, I finish drawing my other two cards. But my other two cards are some more removal spills. Uh, so I actually don't want to cast the Terminus. And uh, so now I have to finish resolving my Brainstorm. And the question is, uh, does my opponent get to know whether the Terminus stays in my hand or if I put it back on top of my library? Is that information that my opponent gets access to?
0: Okay. Um, hmm. So, okay. I, so I, I've got the card, I've got the card revealed. If I, if I recall correctly, the card revealed has to stay revealed until... So there's the trigger that lets you cast it. And it has to stay revealed through that trigger, at least. The resolution of that trigger. So Brainstorm happens. I reveal the card. It's in my hand, facing towards my opponent. I then put the two cards back trigger goes on the stack so if the card is still in my hand it's revealed but if it's back on top of my the library it's not
2: yep yeah miracle you it's a choice so when you draw it you can choose to reveal it but if you do then it has to stay revealed until until that trigger leaves the stack Uh, so in in real life players might just you know put it into their hand and, and stop uh, stop physically showing the card to their opponent. But as far as the rules are concerned, that card remains revealed until that trigger leaves the stack uh, or until the card leaves the hand. So if the card stays in the hand, then the tri- then it'll stay revealed. But as soon as the player chooses to put it back on top of their library with, uh, with the brainstorm, then it stops being revealed. And uh, so the opponent does get to know whether the Terminus stayed in hand or went back to the library.
1: Because while the brainstorm is resolving, it will either still be revealed, and well, while that trigger is resolving, it's either going to be in the hand or be on the library. It'll be clear which one that is. And
0: and you don't get to know which one of the two cards on the library it is. Correct. Because it, sto- it stops being revealed when it goes to the top of the library and the two cards on the library can be put back in any order and they go on at the same time. So you don't get to know whether it was put back on top or second from top. Fair. Bump, bump. Probably second from top because you you just but got you those removal spells, so you want to delay drawing it for a little bit to get the miracle.
1: But then you're just going to keep revealing it and putting it back on top again with your million other I mean, brainstorms, right? How many
0: brainstorms you got? Gotta work through them. Okay, so before we get to the the, the bonus question, Isaac, do you have any do you have any fun uh, fun stuff that we haven't gone that you want to you want to wow the
2: listeners with? Hmm. Uh I mean, I feel like we've already gone you know fairly fairly in depth into some corners here. Uh let's see.
1: Even if it's not something that's like particularly oh. just the weirdest thing right, ever. I, if there's something you one can...
0: that I went looking for that they changed the wording on the card, but you used to be able to get instants and sorceries on the battlefield. So there is this there's a old card from I think Ice Age that put uh splinter zero one splinter tokens on the battlefield, and then you could use a card called bifurcate. Uh, and at the time, the, the wording the since wording changed, but at the time, you could sacrifice one of those tokens, one of those Splinter tokens, to go get a card with the same name and put it on the battlefield. And there happens to be a sorcery called Splinter. But since then, they've changed the wording on Bifurcate, so that doesn't work anymore. And they've added some rules about instants and sorceries entering the battlefield. But that was a fun one I went looking for, and it turns out that it doesn't work anymore.
2: All right. So you wanted you wanted one one last one last yeah. one. I got I got one for you. All right. All right. You cast word of command, targeting yep. your opponent. Uh, uh, you're breaking up their eyes. <laughs> All right. Should I should I read the text
0: for word of command? Uh, please do. I don't All think right. many people are. Familiar.
1: Absolutely <laughs> yes.
2: Uh, right, this and is please a- just please describe the art too.
1: Oh yeah, tell us about the art on Word of Command. <laughs>
2: it's, oh, the art. This is a masterpiece. It truly
1: cannot be described.
2: Eyes. That's about it. It's just it's just two eyes. Yeah. They're, they're very commanding Some eyes. Some eyes. They're kind of squinty. Yeah. All right. So, Word of Command is an instant. Uh, it says, "Look at target opponent's hand and choose a card from it. You control that player until Word of Command finishes resolving. Uh, that player plays that. Wow, well- the player can activate mana abilities only if they're from lands that player controls and only if mana they produce is spent to activate man abilities, to activate other mana abilities of lands that player controls uh, and or to play that card. If the chosen card is cast as a spell, you control that player while that spell is resolving. So basically, uh, what all these words boil down to is I get to have force my opponent to cast a spell and, uh, and I choose how that spell resolves. All the stuff about mana abilities is there so that I can't just, uh, while I control them, I can't just tap them out of everything. I can only tap their lands if I'm actually using that mana to pay for the spell. Uh, so the question is I, I word of command my opponent. Or no, Brian. Uh, yeah. Word of commands. Uh, Brogan. Okay. And you look at Brogan's hand, yep. and the only card uh, in her hand is uh, Shaharazad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh-huh. you decide you cast. My favorite Shaharazad. card. Uh, and the question is, uh, when Jaharazard resolves and the subgame begins, do you control Brogan during the subgame?
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um,
0: okay, uh, look at... <laughs> okay, so legit off the top <laughs> of my head, I have no idea. I would have to look at the, the rules. I would think that control effects right. from the main game don't, la- don't carry over into the subgame.
1: But has Word of Command finished resolving?
2: Uh, uh, So Word of Command is finished resolving, uh, but it says if the chosen card is cast as a spell, you control the player while that spell is resolving. So Shahrzad resolves, uh, and Brian controls Brogan while Shahrzad is resolving. However, uh, the rules for subgames that everyone should be familiar with are... uh, (laughs)
1: Obviously. (laughs) Uh,
2: And Uh, uh, it says no effects or definitions created in either the main game or the subgame have any meaning in the other. So uh, Brian does control Brogan while Shahrazad is resolving in the main game, but in the sub-game, uh, Brian will not control Brogan. Uh, so Brogan will make her own decisions. Uh, however, Brian does still control Brogan during the main game, uh, and if Brogan has to make a choice in the main game while, uh, while Shaharazad is resolving, Brian will get to make that choice. What, and what choice I will what leave it up to the listeners the- to figure out how that is possible? Is it something like?
1: <laughs> He's leaving geez, it up to the listeners, okay. right? Yeah.
0: All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a Gotta question now. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a question. Okay, can I get? And this is this is when I legit don't know the answer to, but I know that it's a question that people like to ask with Shahrazad. Shahrazad. Um, can I use one of the wishes? To get the Shaharazad that is on the stack from the main game?
1: From the other game? From the... <laughs>
2: uh, you may. Wolf. Okay.
1: Why?
2: Because uh, 7.19.4, all objects in the main game and all cards outside the main game are considered outside the sub game. All players not currently in the sub game are considered outside the sub. That's not really. yeah. But all cards that are not a part of the sub game are considered outside the sub game. So, if you have a wish that says, you know, take a card from outside the game and bring it in, you can choose any card that's in the main game. And that includes the Sharazar that is current.
0: Yeah. Now, I think there's a rule that says if a spell starts resolving and leaves the stack while it's still resolving, it still finishes resolving. It does.
2: Uh, 6082 j If an instant spell, sorcery spell, or ability that can legally resolve leaves the stack once it starts to resolve, it will continue to resolve fully. This is actually not there for Shaharazad. There are, like, actually played cards this is relevant for. What? I thought this was Uh, only there for Shaharazad's craziness. What are the... (laughs) uh, Anything that ends the turn. Because it will exile itself before it's done. Oh. Oh.
0: See, this, this is this is one of the things, that the, the advantages yeah, for Isaac. Sense. I'd be sitting there like, yeah, well, you know, there's cards that it's relevant for other than Shaharazad. And someone would be like, oh, yeah, name one. I'd be like, I, I, I don't. You, you called my bluff. I don't know. You got me.
1: You got and me. And Isaac's
0: like, oh, yeah, well, how about this whole class of cards?
1: <laughs> Brian, do you want to tell us about your favorite, f- absolute favorite thing that could ever possibly come up?
0: Yeah. So we've been talking about a lot of rules uh, rules corner cases. So uh, so here's the thing. In the MTR, there's a rule that says uh, 2.12 that says at competitive and professional rules enforcement levels during drafting, deck construction, and playing of matches, players may not use electronic devices capable of taking notes or storing notes, communicating with other people, or accessing the Internet. Right. So this is you can't use uh, electronic. That's why boogie boards are so popular at, at GPs and MCQs. But you can do this at at FNM and stuff. But there's also a rule in the comprehensive rules that says players can use the Magic Store and Event Locator at wizards.com slash locator to find tournaments in their areas. So here's the thing. You can't find tournaments in your area while you're in a uh, competitive or professional rules enforcement level tournament during certain parts of the event.
1: Even though the rules tell you you can?
0: Even though the rules tell me I can. The tournament rules tell me that I can't do it during a match. I have to be between matches to find where the next MCQ is. So would I would need to find another one. What's that? Right, exactly. I guess I have to play FNM where I'm allowed to use my electronic device in the middle of the games.
1: Well, no, you you, you can't do it during the event you're in, so you just need to go...
0: Well, hold on now. Find another one. Well, hold on now. If I'm not actually in an an event, do the comprehensive rules even apply? Like, if I'm walking down the street and I'm not in a game, I don't think the comprehensive rules apply to me at all.
1: So you can or cannot use the Magic Store and Event Locator at Wizards.com? I don't know. I
0: I, I don't think I can. I can't attack a defending player if I'm not in the game of Magic. So I clearly can't use Wizards.com slash Locator if I'm not in a game of Magic.
2: Ah, Mm. That is a
0: problem. It is a problem. (laughs) Right? There you go.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Obviously there um, are a lot of these that will come up or will not come up that are different people's pet questions and things to just things that people really enjoy. And if we did not talk about yours, uh, again, I'm really, really sorry. But... Uh, as Brian, as we Brian and I have both said many times throughout this show, uh, we definitely picked the right person to to have on the show with us. So, uh, Isaac, thank you a lot for being here with us.
2: You're very welcome. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Do you Do you have any uh, projects or anything that you wanna you wanna plug or give a shout out to?
2: Uh, just what you mentioned earlier. Uh, my I have a website at rulesguru.net. And it has a lot of corner cases on it. It also has a lot of non-corner cases on it. So it's, it's a good study resource uh, even for more introductory things uh, because uh, the main thing that's special about it is that you can sort the questions by difficulty or topic. So if you, you know, want to see specifically layers questions or humility questions or casting a spell questions, you can, you can sort and look for you know, those exact questions. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, I like it, obviously. Uh, and, uh, feel free to check it out. Oh, I'm always looking for more questions as well. So you can submit your own and they get added into the database. I
1: really think it fills uh, a niche that has not really been filled before in being able to sort of drill down into the topics that you care about. So that's awesome. Is there anything that either of you would like to say or tell our listeners before we go? Uh Um, Yeah. Uh,
0: actually, if you have, if you've listened to this episode and it's inspired you to come up with a, you know, we, we post on Twitter, Hey, you know, what's your favorite corner case. If you're listening to this and you go, Hey, that reminds me of this one particular corner case with, uh, where something where the top card of the library stays revealed as I draw multiple cards or something along those lines, uh, Drop us a drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter, and uh, maybe we can get a little discussion going.
2: Sweet. Um, also, me. I always love hearing about corner cases.
0: What's your contact information? How can we find
1: you?
2: Oh, uh, email or Facebook are both best for me. Yeah, if I if I get a random email of Hey, you know, what's the answer to this eight card corner case? I will answer it.
0: It's like moth to a uh, uh, moth to flame.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's how you're gonna make a new friend.
0: Uh, so what's your what's your what's your Twitter, uh, Isaac, oh, I know. Your Email or whatever you want to share? Uh,
2: sure. Uh, email. My email is I S period A-A-C-K at Yahoo.com. It's not quite as old as A.O.L. Uh,
1: Yahoo's definitely <laughs> still acceptable, I think.
0: It's, it's not CompuServe dot net, right?
2: Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, that or, or Facebook. Uh, if anyone wants to chat about corner cases, I, I am always down.
1: Awesome. Um, before I start signing off, I want to remind both of you that I'm going to say that I keep it fun, and I'm going to let both of you figure out what you keep it. So I, you have about 20 seconds to start thinking about that.
2: It's like who, who is going first? Me me, or B-Pro? Uh, uh, I, you, go,
0: you go first.
2: I, I, oh, I, so you have longer to think? Uh, no, it's
0: because this is...
1: Because it's, Brian's going to inevitably have some something extravagant. Mm, alright, alright. <laughs> uh, alright. So, uh, thank you to Brian. Thank you a bunch to Isaac. Uh, thank you to all of you for listening. Um, if you want to talk to us or learn more about our show or listen to our old episodes, um, you can find our archive at judgecast.com. You can, uh, find us, uh, at judgecast on Twitter. Um, like Brian said, if you know what a dagger check is and you want to post a picture of your silver inlaid dagger, send it to us on Twitter. Um, You can also find us at Facebook.com slash JudgeCast or give us an email um, at JudgeCast at gmail.com, not at AOL. Uh, That all (laughs) being said, uh, thank you again for listening. I'm Brogan King, and I keep it fun.
2: I'm Isaac King, and I keep it complicated.
0: (laughs) I'm Brian Prillman and I keep control of Brogan in the main game while we're enjoying a sub game, both of Shaharazad and another sub sub game under the table.
1: How did we get there?
0: because of word of command
1: (laughs) great